Hi friends, this is Justin from Why Catholic. I really appreciate everyone who has donated to keep this podcast going. And so I thought, wouldn't it be great if people could support this podcast, but also get something in return? So I created a Why Catholic merch shop. You can find it on Etsy. Just search for Why Catholic. And I've also linked to it in the show notes. These designs are 100% original. I wanted to make something that shares our faith, but also looks trendy. You can find t-shirts, hats, sweatshirts, and more. And I'm constantly adding to the store as well. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast to hear how you can get a special discount. Thanks so much for supporting Why Catholic. Ravi Zacharias was a famous Protestant Christian apologist and evangelist who came to prominence in the 1980s. Born in India to an Anglican family, Ravi Zacharias later emigrated to Canada where he went on to earn his Master's of Divinity. Ravi Zacharias' mastery of language, philosophy, and theology were second to none. Extremely well-read and studied, he frequently incorporated literature and philosophy in his defense of Christianity and encouraged people to love God with their minds. He was the founder of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, or RZIM for short, and hosted a widely syndicated radio broadcast entitled, Let My People Think. Ravi Zacharias may not have been as renowned as, say, Billy Graham, but he certainly was in the top 10 of the most popular and most respected Protestant evangelists and theologians. In 2020, at the age of 74, Ravi Zacharias passed away from cancer. A few months later, serious allegations surfaced, accusing Ravi Zacharias of sexually harassing and abusing women during his time in ministry. This actually wasn't the first time the world-renowned theologian was accused of such things. While Zacharias was alive, at least one woman had approached RZIM with allegations of sexual harassment. Zacharias accused the woman and her husband of being opportunists. His ministry believed and supported him, and the case was settled and court records were sealed. After his death, after a number of women had come forward with similar stories, RZIM finally decided to hire a firm and do a full investigation. The results of the independent investigation were worse than anyone could have imagined. Zacharias had solicited nude photos from over 200 women, even up to a few months before his death. He used financial donations to pay for massage parlors. One massage therapist said he provided for her financially and then required sex from her. She called it rape. She alleged that Zacharias called her his reward for living a life of service to God. I, like the rest of the world, that had profound respect for Ravi Zacharias was devastated. He had lived a completely duplicitous life. By day, he was a trusted theologian, helping people in their walks with God. By night, he was a sexual predator, wreaking havoc on the lives of women. As a Protestant, my theology told me that there was no doubt in my mind that Ravi Zacharias was in heaven. Despite whatever bad he did, he was saved by grace through faith and had eternal security. But as I considered it, as I considered the justice that Ravi Zacharias escaped through his death, I began to hope for a divine reckoning in the afterlife, not just for Ravi Zacharias's victims, but for Ravi Zacharias as well. Catholics have a word for this. We call it purgatory. 
Hi, my name is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. We've been talking about the Catholic view of salvation in the past few episodes. In episode 43, I talked about how God's grace and mercy are at the center of salvation. In episode 44, we explored why Catholics think of salvation as a process rather than an event, and why Catholics believe someone can lose their salvation. In episode 45, we talked about how heaven is the purpose of salvation, and becoming saints now is our calling and mission. Today, we're going to dive into the topic of purgatory. Now, I know purgatory is a juicy subject, made even juicier by the title of this episode. But if you haven't already, you may want to listen to those previous episodes on the Catholic understanding of salvation, because it'll give you some context for this one. I want to propose to you that every Christian believes in purgatory. They may not call it purgatory, but every Christian believes in something that happens after we die that prepares us to enter into heaven. We can argue on what exactly happens or how long it lasts, but we all, if we really think about it, believe that there's some process between death and heaven. For example, I've heard many Protestant pastors describe this trial that we go to after we die. In the judge's seat is God the Father, and we're standing on trial as a video of our life is played in the courtroom. Watching our life from God's vantage point makes us realize the weight and disgrace of our sins. We're embarrassed. We're ashamed. We feel worthless. Just when we think that we receive the verdict of damnation, Jesus walks into the room, and God the Father tells us your sins have been paid for by him. You are free to go. Then Jesus takes our tattered and stained clothes and puts a white robe on us and ushers us into eternal glory. That trial, however long it takes, is this process of justice to prepare us for heaven, to help us realize the seriousness of our sins, but also the overwhelming grace of God. That's a very specific version of what Catholics would call purgatory. Yeah, it's probably not what you think of when you think of purgatory. So first, let's dispel some rumors and mistruths about purgatory. I was always told that purgatory was this place where you go after you die and you do works. And if your works are good enough, you go to heaven. And if they're not, you go to hell. Yeah, that's not purgatory, at least not how the Catholic Church defines it. People who go to purgatory are on their way to heaven. There's no question about it. There's plenty of ideas about purgatory in the form of paintings, literature, people's visions, etc. But the Catechism actually says very little about purgatory. Many people think of it as a place of suffering and pain and fire, and maybe it is. Some people think it lasts years and decades and centuries and millennia. Maybe it does, though I imagine time works very differently on the other side of this life. The reality is we just don't know the particulars. The only thing the Catholic Church is certain of is that some who are on their way to heaven make a necessary stop in purgatory to purge their sinful nature and prepare to enter the presence of God in the glory of an eternal heaven. Maybe that looks like a trial room where we are forced to watch our sins in the presence of God. Maybe it's this moment where Jesus takes off our tattered clothes and puts a white robe on us. Maybe it's a place we go where there's suffering as the rest of our sinful nature gets burned away. The point is that there is a span of place, time, and process that prepares us for entering heaven. And if you're a Protestant listening to this, the word purgatory may be triggering. Don't let it be. And if that word is too much of a hurdle, call it whatever you want. Call it purification, a trial, detox, whatever. What I want to focus on is the purpose of purgatory, and I'd like to revisit the example of Ravi Zacharias. Let me begin with a caveat. Whereas a Protestant might say Ravi Zacharias is certainly in heaven despite his grave sins, a Catholic would say 
Ravi Zacharias willfully and continually committed grave sins and put his soul in jeopardy. However, Catholics never presume someone is in hell. Rather, we hope that all will be saved, and we pray for everyone's salvation. In the rosary, we repeat a prayer that says, quote, O oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those most in need of thy mercy. Amen. End quote. Ravi Zacharias made purgatory make sense for me. It made me hopeful in purgatory. There's three reasons why. Purgatory achieves holiness through purification, illumination, and justice. That's what I want to focus on for the rest of this episode, how purgatory achieves holiness through purification, illumination, and justice. The Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 1030 states, quote, All who die in God's grace but still imperfectly purified are indeed assured of their eternal salvation, but after death they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven, end quote. Let's start with the purification process of purgatory. Dr. Thomas Jane Neal described purgatory this way, quote, Purgatory is, in a sense, akin to the experience of withdrawal symptoms in a detox from an addiction, exposing addiction's roots, detaching our disordered attachments, and the parasitical evils that inhabit us. Painful, yes, but it is a purifying pain full of hope for the freedom of the children of God, end quote. Just as a drug addict will go into a rehab facility and detox before re-entering society, we need that purging, that detox for our souls before entering heaven. Some of us struggle with addictions our entire lives as Christians. Purgatory is that supernatural intervention, that detox for our souls that we desperately need and even long for prior to entering heaven. C.S. Lewis said it this way, quote, Our souls demand purgatory. Would it not break the heart if God said to us, It is true, my son, that your breath smells and your rags drip with mud and slime, but we are charitable here and no one will embraid you of these things, nor draw away from you, enter into joy. End quote. You may have heard that God loves you just the way you are. That's very true. But God loves you enough not to let you stay the way you are. Jesus rescued the woman caught in adultery. He loved her. He didn't condemn her. But he also didn't say, carry on as you were. He said, go and sin no more. How terrible to enter heaven with our same addictions and struggles that we wrestled with on earth. Who would want that? As C.S. Lewis put it, who among us hopes for these tattered rags? Don't we want the new life, the new mind, the new body, the new holiness of heaven? The second manner in which purgatory achieves holiness is through illumination. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 3.11-15 says, quote, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, each man's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire, end quote. Listen to those last two sentences again, quote, If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. End quote. In other words, we who are going to heaven will have to endure this process whereby God takes all of our actions and throws them in this fire. He's going to shine a light on every single thing we've done. For some things, he's going to say, well done. For others, they're going to burn up. Maybe things we spent countless hours and years doing. That might be pretty painful to experience. 
But here's where this is so hopeful. You know, we all make mistakes. We sometimes screw up big time. But how do we want to be remembered? We want to be remembered for what we did well. Think about some of the people in our nation's histories whose legacies are being overshadowed by their involvement in slavery and other evils. Think about Ravi Zacharias. There's no doubt in my mind that he was plagued by his sexual addictions and his predatory behavior. Do you think that's how he wants to be remembered? No, of course not. He wants to be remembered for his teaching and preaching that led thousands and thousands of people to Jesus. This is the promise in 1 Corinthians 3. God is going to submit everything we've done to fire. The evil will burn, but the good will remain. When we walk into heaven, we're not going to carry the shame of our mistakes, but only the reward of our good deed. As Revelation 14 says, our deeds will follow us into heaven. Everyone who has ever tarnished their reputation in some fashion, and that is all of us, is offered the promise of having God incinerate all of that. We won't walk into heaven watching people whisper and say things like, oh, that's that guy that did that terrible thing. Man, how embarrassing. We'll walk into heaven with the legacy we always wanted, but we're too sinful to keep untarnished. Third, purgatory achieves holiness through justice. Our sins are not victimless crimes. Not only do our sins hurt God, they hurt others either directly or indirectly. I started off this episode talking about Ravi Zacharias, and while he's kind of the object lesson here, let's not lose focus on something astoundingly important. Ravi Zacharias's victims. Not only were they physically abused and treated as Zacharias' sexual objects, but many of them have completely lost their faith and want nothing to do with Christianity, and I can't blame them. Zacharias' death provided him an escape from facing his victims, the women he abused first and foremost, but also the members of his organization he lied to, his donors, and those that looked up to him. Protestants sometimes push back on the notion of purgatory because they would say that God has taken on our punishment so that we don't have to. But there's a difference between eternal punishment and temporal punishment. Forgiveness does not negate discipline. Every parent understands this. When my kids screw up, they say they're sorry and I forgive them, but they still face consequences for their actions. That's called justice. A person who murders someone and expresses sorrow and resentment for their actions still has to pay for their crimes. Hebrews 12, 5 through 10 states, quote, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. End quote. Discipline helps correct us, but it also is justice for our victims. When my son and daughter fight, I don't disown them, but I also don't just pretend like nothing happened. The offender needs to be disciplined. They need to be disciplined because discipline helps form their character. It dissuades them from doing it again, and it provides justice for the one that was wrong. Consider Jesus' strong words about people that would lead others astray. In Luke 17, 2, he says, quote, It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck 
than to cause one of these little ones to stumble, end quote. There's two ways I can read this passage in light of Ravi Zacharias. One is that he will go to hell for the evil he committed and the way he ruined people's lives. Another is that he will eventually go to heaven, but he will have to face a severe retribution for his sins in purgatory. As much as he led many to Christ, his sins robbed certain people of faith, making them want nothing to do with Christ. His sins were unjust and his victims deserved justice. And that's what Jesus promises us. He takes seriously those that lead us astray and will not overlook it. This is the hope of purgatory, that we will be saved, but justice will still be served. There's one more thing that I want to point out, and that is purgatory can happen in this life or the next. In the previous episode, I said when Jesus tells us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he's inviting us even now to become the saint we will become in heaven. We can choose to live disciplined lives of holiness where God purifies us, illuminates all the areas of our life, and incorporates justice for our sins. We can have that now so that we don't have to endure purgatory or at least an intense purgatory after we die. We can detox now on this earth or we can detox in purgatory. But ultimately, whether purgatory happens in this life or the next, purgatory is God's grace. I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to be free of all of my sinful habits and selfish thoughts, my anxiety and depression, my laziness and lack of discipline. I don't want that stuff weighing me down in heaven like it does now. I can't wait for God to unburden me with those things. But I also don't have to wait until heaven to start letting God unburden me with those things. At the same time, I want that for others as well. I want to see Ravi Zacharias in heaven one day. I want to thank him for all those theological lessons he gave. But I also want to see Ravi Zacharias rehabilitated from his awful sexual addiction. And I want to see his victims receive justice. I particularly want to see those he abused in heaven as well. And I want to see this beautiful moment of reconciliation where Ravi Zacharias and his victims come into heaven with all the good they've accomplished, knowing that all the rest has been incinerated. Purgatory is a realm where we see in greater clarity the filth of our sin and experience the breathtaking grace of purging our tattered garments in exchange for robes of glory. It is a detox of our unholy addictions. It may take hours, days, years, decades, centuries, who knows. In reality, outside of earth, time is irrelevant. Just as one washes their hands before dining at the table, purgatory is a purification process whereby we are thoroughly washed and lavishly dressed before joining the banquet table of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode in your email inbox. As a subscriber, you get a special discount code to the Why Catholic Etsy store. If you've been blessed by this podcast and you're feeling generous, there's also a way to financially support it. And patrons get some extra perks. To become a free subscriber or a patron, just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Also join me on Instagram at whycatholicpodcast, all one word. Thanks again for listening. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic. God bless you.